Hey, good morning, Passionate Life Church. Hey, my name's Tyler. Uh, I'm the youth director here, and man, I am so excited to be delivering a word uh, that I really feel like God has laid on my heart. Obviously, I wish you were here with me. I wish we were all in person, but with everything going on, we decided to postpone church um, just for one more week. We want to make sure everybody's safe and healthy and recovering, and man, we can't wait to see you again here. Um, All right, so as you can tell off of that video there, I'm kicking off a new series for us called Unlikely Heroes. And and for me, man, when I think of unlikely heroes, I think of uh, a lot of different things, right? You think of so many stories in the Bible. You think of stories throughout history. You think of, uh, you know, sports. You think of underdogs. Uh, And for me, man, I grew up with three younger brothers. Uh, I'm a big-time sports fan, and and, uh, that's just a huge part of our life, right? And so when I think of unlikely heroes... I think of all of these great sports characters, these great moments in time, you know, David Tyree catching the, the touchdown pass on his helmet against the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And I think of little Steph Curry leading Davidson through the, the March Madness tournament, getting him to the Elite Eight. And there's these, this, this picture of unlikely heroes that pop up in sports all the time, right? Stephen Curry, I remember watching him. He looked like he was 14 years old out there. I'm like, who is this little kid that nobody knows and he's just taking his team to the next level in this tournament. Uh, But man, for me, I want to focus in on one specific unlikely hero sports story. Um, And and this guy goes by the name of Malcolm Butler. And if you're a big football fan, I'm sure you've heard the name Malcolm Butler by now. But Malcolm Butler uh, is is a a football player who went to a little school in West Alabama. He went to uh, West Alabama State or something like that. Um, But it's you know just a smaller school. He wasn't very highly recruited out of high school, right? He's he's kind of small for a cornerback in the NFL. Um, And and it comes down to draft day, and and uh, at the NFL draft, man, it's one of my favorite things ever, right? You got all of these uh, these athletes, these collegiate athletes from all around the country, and uh, they line up, they're ready to go. Some of them are there, you know, they're with their families, their loved ones, and they wait for that moment to hear their name called. And, and only 253 of them get drafted on average. And so they're waiting for that moment. Malcolm Butler's sitting there, he's waiting for that moment with his family, and his name doesn't get called. And so if, if I'm Malcolm Butler, I'm putting myself in that situation, you know, you've worked so hard, right? You played all throughout college to get to this moment, and it doesn't come through, right? And it's like, I missed my shot. I missed my opportunity. It is what it is. But Malcolm Butler stuck to it. He got a call from the New England Patriots, and they ended up bringing him on as an undrafted free agent. Uh, he joined the practice squad, didn't play much, um, but then was finally able to get some game time. And played a little bit his rookie year, not a ton, didn't really make an impact. But Malcolm Butler found himself the next year on the biggest stage of football, really the biggest stage of all of sports, and that was Super Bowl 49. Okay, what you got to understand about Super Bowl 49? Obviously, Super Bowl 48 was before that. You're a Broncos fan. We all know what happened. <laughs> Super Bowl 48, okay? We got blown out 43 to 8. It hurts 
to even say that. But we got blown out by the Seattle Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks are back in the Super Bowl against the New England Patriots. Um, So I, for one time in my life, I know this is kind of blasphemous, but I was a Patriots fan that day, okay? I did not want to see the Seahawks repeat. I was not about that. They were running their mouths. And and we get down to the end of this game. Jermaine Curse makes this incredible catch, right? Bounces off of his back, and he rolls over. He catches it. He picks it up. He's at the two-yard line. The Seahawks are down four with a minute to go at the one-yard line, right? They find themselves in this moment. They're about ready to punch it in. They've got one of the best running backs of all time in Marshawn Lynch. I'm like, God dang it. It's game over, right? And so they go ahead. Uh, Russell Wilson hikes the ball. He's got a, a, a receiver coming across the middle. Boom, throws it. And Malcolm Butler comes out of nowhere from the back of the end zone, Boom, blows this receiver up, picks the ball off, and the Patriots win the Super Bowl. Man, you would have thought the Broncos won the Super Bowl for how I was acting, man. I was jumping up and down. I was running around. I was excited. I was screaming because the Seahawks didn't get a repeat. And Malcolm Butler became the most unlikely of heroes in the biggest stage of all of sports. And there's so many stories like that in sports. I wanted to highlight on that one. Uh, But man, I wanted to jump into a story in the Bible. There's so many, again, that you can pick from where you see a picture of an unlikely hero. We're going to start here in Judges chapter 6. In Judges 6, verse 1, it says, Yet again, the people of Israel went back to doing evil in God's sight. I love how they put that. Yet again. Yep, they messed up again. God put them under the domination of Midian for seven years. Midian overpowered Israel. Because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves hideouts in the mountains, caves, and forts. When Israel planted its crops, Midian and Amalek, the Easterners, would invade them, camp in their fields, and destroy their crops all the way down to Gaza. They left nothing for them to live on, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Bringing their cattle and tents, they came in and took over like an invasion of locusts, and their camels passed counting. They marched in and devastated the country." The people of Israel, reduced to grinding poverty by Midian, called out to God for help. You see, I just, I love the way the message frames up this story, right? The, the, the Midianites came in like a bunch of locusts and they just wrecked the, this country, right? They just took over the Israelites. And it's because the Israelites found themselves in a situation where they messed up yet again, right? They messed up. God had delivered them so many times throughout their history, right? This is God's people. He had delivered them and delivered them and delivered them. And they continue to mess up and mess up and mess up. And I love the way they word it. It says, yet again. Again, they messed um, you know, what is, but I mean, everything's going well, if everything's perfect, right, if everything's good, if things are shaping up the way they're supposed to be, there's really not a need for a hero. You know, all the movies that we watch, right, it's life is good, there's destruction, and then there's a need for a hero. And then something happens, and then, you know, life is not good, and now there's a need for a hero. And the Israelites found themselves in this exact situation, yet again, crying out to God, saying, God, we need a hero. We need your help. And the most unlikely of heroes would come to save the day. Let's pick back up Judges 6, verse 11. 
In Judges 6, 11, it says this. It says, One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak tree in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites. I'm going to pause right there. So one, one really cool, uh, interesting picture uh, uh, you know, that we get here is you've got this guy named Gideon, right? And he's threshing wheat. And so typically when somebody threshes wheat, they do it out in the open on top of a hill so that way the, uh, the wind can pick up and just blow away the chaff, right? So that the, it, there's not uh, really any cleanup. But we, we see Gideon here threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press. And he's doing this because he's hiding away from the Midianites. And man, it just, this, uh, again, uh, the, the way the message just depicts this story is so beautiful because you really get a feel of Gideon's mindset. Gideon was afraid, right? Gideon was timid, he was afraid, and he was defeated. That's one thing that we see in Gideon right now. And I think a lot of us, man, if we're being honest with ourselves, we can come to that conclusion that we've been there, uh, probably a lot of us in the last few months, you know, in this year, we've been at that point where we've been afraid, where we've been timid, and where we felt defeated, right? You know, and, and, and I'm not saying that the Israelites didn't have good reason to be. The Midianites came in, they took all their crop, right? They came in, they messed up their life, right? They, they, they really reduced them down to poverty, but we see a man in Gideon who is nothing like a hero. We see a coward in Gideon at this point in his life. And as we pick back up here in Judges 6, 11, we're going to read that verse one more time, and then we're going to read the next one. I want you to really realize what God calls Gideon in the midst of his timidity. In Judges 6, 11, through 12, it says, One day the angel of God came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abezerite, whose son was Gideon, was, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of sight of the Midianites. The angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, O mighty warrior. God is with you, O mighty warrior. And man, the, the thing that really sticks out to me about this passage of scripture right here is that while Gideon was timid, defeated, and afraid, in the midst of his timidity, in the midst of his fear, in the midst of feeling defeated, God looked at Gideon and he saw a warrior. Right, He said, oh, mighty warrior. And I can just put myself in Gideon's shoes, and we'll get into that in just a second, of just like, here I am, hiding away from what I know that I'm supposed to do, hiding away, just kind of trying to mind my own business, don't want anything to do with God, don't want anything to do with a plan, Right, don't want anything to do with the Midianites, so I'm just gonna do my own thing, I'm gonna lay low here. And in the midst of that, God calls him a mighty warrior. Man, so, I'm so glad that we've got a God who looks beyond the fronts that we try to, to show. Who looks beyond our faults, who looks beyond uh, our, our timidity and our defeatedness. We have a God who looks at us in our hearts and for the core of who we can be. You see, God didn't see Gideon for what he was in that moment. God saw Gideon for what he knew he could be. 
And man, it's such an encouraging thing for me and I think for all of us that we have a God who looks at us and says, look, I know you're afraid. I know 2020 has been a roller coaster. I know you're going through some things. I know you feel defeated. I know you're afraid. I know you're timid. But I am calling you to be a mighty warrior. I love the way the message frames this story. We're going to pick back up here in Judges 6, verse 13. Judges 6, 13, it says, Gideon replied, with me, my master? If God is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has nothing to do with us. He has turned us over to Midian. Wow. So now we really get a a good look into Gideon's mindset, right? Now we're really starting to understand, not only is Gideon afraid, not only is Gideon defeated and timid, man, Gideon has given up on God altogether almost. Where is this God? Oh, yeah, my parents, sure, my parents told me all these great miracles. They told me all these great stories that God used to perform, that God used to do for them. But where is God? God wants nothing to do with us. Look at the world that we live in right now. Maybe some of us are there right now. Maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we've all come to that conclusion. We've all had that thought come to our head. God, where are you at in the midst of this pandemic? Where are you at in the midst of the division of our country? Where are you at in the midst of everything going on, God, with COVID and and with the riots? God, where are you at? You see, this, this is really setting the stage for a hero and an unlikely hero at that. You see, I I think a lot of us can find ourselves there. And I think if we're careful, we'll stay there. I'm just, you know what? I'm just going to stay down here in this wine press. I'm going to hide from what I know God has called me to do. I'm not worried about what God is telling me to do because look at the world around me. You know what? I'm just going to not do anything until uh, they get a vaccine. I'm not going to give. I'm not going to serve God. I'm not going to get involved until whatever. And we don't have to, look, I'm, I'm, don't, don't miss this point here. We don't have to expose ourselves and, and just be reckless with the way we live our lives to make an impact in the kingdom of God. But I think so many times, especially in this year of 2020, we've gotten to this point where it's like, well, what's the point? What's the point? Look at the Midianites just taking over our land. Look at the Midianites who are just coming in here and wrecking our world. What's the point? But man, God has called you to be a mighty warrior in the midst of feeling defeated, in the midst of our fear. He's called us a mighty warrior. As we pick back up in Judges 6, 14, it says, But God faced him directly. Go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just sent you? Gideon said to him, Me, my master? How and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, you'll defeat Midian as one man. So we see this kind of banter going back with, with Gideon and with God, right? We see this, this, this back and forth. Who Me? It can't be me, right? And so now we're getting a picture of, of Gideon's insecurity. 
And his family is, you know, the lowest of Manessa, and he's the runt of the litter. He is the guy who'd never be picked to lead anything. Isn't it amazing how God does that? Isn't it amazing that God takes the people who are never supposed to be anything and turns them into heroes? And we see that all the time, right? And throughout history, you look at David, he was the runt of the litter. And you get this picture of Gideon arguing with God saying, not me. It can't be me. You see, that brings me to my first point here. And that's even when we hide doubt and soak in our insecurities, God still calls us to be heroes. Even when we hide doubt and soak in our insecurities about why we're not good enough, about why we can never accomplish that, God still calls us to be heroes. See, I love I love that picture that God paints of Gideon's life. See, for me, man, I I know a lot of you guys have heard my story. Uh, You know, if you were here the last time I spoke, man, you'd know that uh, I lost my dad to suicide. Going on uh, nine years here. It'll be nine years, December 5th. Um, Man, and and it really threw my entire life for a curveball. Right, it threw a wrench into everything that I had planned and ended everything that I had dreamed up. And, and uh, you know, we, we had a pretty crazy year. That was my wife's first year of marriage. We'd been married for about a month and a half when my dad died. Um, and then I lost my job shortly after that. Uh, we, ha- we had a miscarriage. And that year, man, I was just like, oh my goodness. I am just, just broken down to nothing. And then I tried to pick myself back up, right? And then I, and then I got back, you know, uh, hurt again. I got hurt by uh, some people that I love very much. And, and I found myself in a place where I was much like Gideon, hiding in a wine press, completely avoiding anything that God had called me to do. I'm just going to sit down here in this wine press, thresh my way, even though I know God has called me to do more, right? Even though I know God has told me that I'm supposed to be in ministry, I'm done. I'm just going to pass on all of that. And I remember it was a Friday in October of 2019. Uh, Here I am at work, and uh, I feel a check in my spirit. And God was telling me, you need to get back into ministry again. I was like, no way. You got the wrong guy. God, I I can't do it. You know, I don't have my dad. I've been through so much. I've already been hurt by people that I love. I've already been hurt by the church. Yeah, you've got the wrong guy. I'm not getting back into it. And I kind of bantered back and forth with God a little bit. I was like, God, I'm not doing it. And I could feel this tug and I could feel him speaking to my heart saying, Tyler, you know what I've called you to do. I need you to get back to serving me. I need you to get out of this wine press. I need you to stop hiding and become the hero that I've called you to be. And I think we've all had a, a time or two where, if we're honest, man, we're hiding away from God and we can hear his voice and we'll just pretend like, ah, no, it's not you, God, or you got the wrong guy. But even when we're afraid, even when we're insecure, God calls us to be heroes. So we pick back up here in Judges 6, verse 17, says this. It says, Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. I love that. I love how like Gideon's just talking with God. Hey, all right, do me a favor here, God. 
Give me a sign to back up what you're telling me. Don't leave until I come back and bring you my gift, he said. I'll wait till you get back. Gideon went and prepared a young goat and a huge amount of unraised bread. He used over half a bushel of flour. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot and took them back under the shade of the oak tree for a sacred meal. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and unraised bread, place them on the rock and pour the broth on them. Gideon did it. The angel of God stretched out the tip of the stick he was holding and touched the meat and bread. Fire broke out of the rock and burned up the meat and bread while the angel of God slipped away out of sight. And Gideon knew it was God. So Gideon's finally coming to grips, right? He's finally coming to the realization that, okay, you know what, God? This might be you speaking to me. This might be you telling me to move forward. This might be you telling me uh, to, to lead this nation of Israel. But I gotta, you got to do me a favor here. you got to give me a sign. You've got to give me a sign, okay? And God gives him this sign, right? And, and Gideon knew without doubt that it was God who was calling him. He knew 100% that it was God, right? God had already spoke to Gideon. He had called him out of the wine press. Now Gideon's back and forth, and he says, all right, you need to give me a sign, and God gave him a sign. He confirmed it. You see, what God will do when God speaks something to you, he's going to confirm it. When God puts something on your heart, he's going to confirm it, and yes, it's okay to ask for a sign. It's okay to ask for a sign. Right, we see it in Gideon and, and you know, kind of jumping back into my story here, uh, you know, on that Friday morning, I'm sitting there and I know without a doubt that it's God calling me and God's checking my heart. And I said, all right, God, you got to give me a sign then. You've got to make it so undeniably obvious that you want me back into ministry again for it to happen. Man, <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> Shouldn't ask for that. And little did I know that uh, we'd be getting dinner with our pastor, Pastor Andrew and Pastor Don. We had been coming to church for a little bit. I had just started to really start to, to come to church on a regular basis at this point. Um, and so we're over at their house, right? We're eating dinner, and um, uh, our kids are playing. Melody and Asher and Zeke and Jude are just running around playing, having a great time. And, and we, we step out to a, a room on the side. You know, our kids are just, you know, loving the company with, e uh, with each other. And, and Pastor Andrew looks at me, and he says, hey, can I ask you something? I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead, you know, fire away. He's like, okay. He's like, well, I don't know if this... Uh, I don't know if this makes sense. He was like, but I really feel like God is calling you to be our youth pastor here. <laughs> I probably looked at him like, no, doesn't make any sense at all. That's weird. What? No. Man, in my heart. <laughs> oh, I knew. I knew. I asked for a sign that morning, right? I'd been wrestling with God, and he'd called me out of, out of my, my insecurity and my misery and my hurt, and he said, Ty, I need you to do this, and I said, okay, I need you to give me a sign, and that night, God gave me my sign, and you see, when God speaks something to you, he's going to confirm it, and it's okay to ask. I need you to confirm this for me. 
And so here we find Gideon, right? We find Gideon knowing it was God. He asked for a sign and he understood, okay, this is God. I got my sign. Let's take a look at what happens next here. Judges 6, 25 through 27. It says, that night this happened. God said to him, take your father's best seven-year-old bull, the prime one. Tear down your father's Baal altar and chop down the Asherah fertility pole beside it. Then build an altar to God, your God, on top of this hill. Take the prime bull and present it as a whole burnt offering, using firewood from the Asherah pole that you cut down. Gideon selected ten men from his servants and did exactly what God had told him. But because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly, so he did it that night. So here we see, right, we're starting to see this, this character form in Gideon now, right? We, we, you know, you just jump back to a little, uh, a little bit earlier of what we were reading. You see this picture of a coward who is hiding down in a wine press, threshing wheat, minding his own business. You see this guy full of insecurity, full of doubt, full of fear, questioning what God had called him to be. He gets his sign. He gets his confirmation. And the next thing that God asks him to do is go down to your father's house and take down the Baal altar that you built. You see, and that really sticks out to me. It really sticks out to me. It brings me to my third and final point here. It says, after we accept God's call to be a hero, he will always ask you to take care of your own home first. After we accept God's call to be a hero, he's always going to ask you to get your home in line first. And I think so many of us, man, we get these incredible moments with God, right, where God calls us supernaturally, and we get a confirmation, and then we're like, all right, let's go. I'm ready, right? I'm sure Gideon was pumped up at that moment. He was like, okay, let's go. Let's do this, right? But God is always going to ask you, hey, make sure you get right with me first before you can move forward. Hey, I need you to get right with me. I need you to be spending time in prayer. I need you to be in my word. I need you to be in community before you can move forward. See, God is always, always, always going to ask us to get right with him before we can ever lead people to get right with him. See, I was driving home that night and, uh, Sarah looked at me and she was like, wow, that was really nice. I can't believe he asked that. I was like, well, I can. It's like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, let me tell you. Well, I'll tell you exactly what happened at work. I didn't tell her. So I told her that night. I was like, yeah, yep, this is what happened. And it was in that moment that I knew, and before I could ever speak into the hearts of youth again, before I could ever do what God had called me to do. I had a family I had to lead well. I had a wife and two kids that were looking up to me, who had looked up to me for the last two years and saw somebody who they probably didn't like to see. Saw somebody who never wanted to be in church again, who questioned everything about God, who never wanted to do what he had called him to do. They saw a guy who was hiding down in the bottom of a wine press, minding his own business, completely avoiding the call that God had put on his life. And I knew that I had to get back into prayer. I had to start reading my Bible more. 
I had to be in community. I had to be around people who were going to lift me up. Because that is what God will call you to do. So man, maybe you're watching this and, and wherever we can find ourselves in this, in this sequence of Gideon's life, man, maybe you are like Gideon at the moment where he's hiding in a wine press, right? 2020 has been a complete failure. We've not, we don't want anything to do with it, right? Our home is broken, right? Our lives are broken. Maybe you lost your job and, and things aren't going great. Man, if that's you and you're hiding in a wine press, you're full of insecurity, you're full of fear, you're full of doubt, I got to get you to know one thing. God looks at you not for who you are and not for who you feel in this moment. God looks at you for what you can be and God is calling you to be a hero, God is calling you to be a hero. And man, maybe you're here and you, you recognize the call, right? You, you, you understand, man, that I need to lead a life group, that I need to get back into church, that I need to do something for my community, right? I need to play on the worship team. Whatever it may be, God's gonna confirm that for you. Maybe this is a confirmation moment. You've been wrestling with it, man. Yes, God says yes. God wants to confirm that and it's okay to ask for that sign. It's okay to ask for a sign. Maybe you're here, man, and you've gotten your sign. And, and you're, you're ready to go, and you're fired up, right? God's called you, and he's done the miraculous. We've got to make sure that we are taking care of our lives first spiritually, that we are taking care of our home, right? We all have homes we have to lead, right? We all have lives that we have to live towards Jesus. Stay in your word. Stay in prayer. Stay in community. I'm going to read one more verse here in Judges 6 as we close. Judges 6, 33-35, it says, All the Midianites and the Malachites got together, crossed the river, and made camp in the valley of Jezreel. God's spirit came over Gideon. He blew his ram's horn trumpet, and the Abyssalites came out ready to follow him. He dispatched messengers all through Manasseh, calling them to battle, also to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they all came. So now we see it. Now we're starting to see it. This picture of this unlikely new hero named Gideon. Man, I'm so excited for the message that Pastor Andrew is going to bring next week. As we get to see the fruition of all of this turmoil, all of this wrestling that Gideon's gone through, we get to see the hero that he was capable of being. My last point is this. Our weaknesses form the perfect canvas for God to display his power. Our weaknesses form the perfect canvas for God to display his power. And so I'm going to say one more time, man, if you're here and you're wrestling with insecurity and fear of everything going on in the world and you're looking for a sign and you're not sure what to do next, man, it's, it's okay because our weaknesses craft this canvas for God to say, yes, I get the glory. See, because it's not us, right? Gideon was hiding in a wine press. I was running away from what God had called me to do, but it's God's perfect power that makes us into the heroes we're supposed to be. Let's go ahead and pray. God, we thank you so much. We thank you for looking at us and seeing us not where we are, not where we see ourselves in, in our darkest situations, but for looking at us and seeing a hero.
for looking at us and seeing this is what they can be. Look at all of the, all of the plans and, and the hero that I've called them to be. God, I pray that you call some people out of the wine press. God, the people who are low, the people who are hurting, the people who are running, questioning whether you're even there or whether you're even around to be there to help them. God, continue to call them out of the wine press. God, and if somebody's looking for a sign, God, I pray that you just reveal yourself to them in the most miraculous of ways. And finally, God, when you've called us and we're able to step out of our insecurity and our hiding, God, let us remember to take care of our home first, to get right with you. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, we love you guys so much. We can't wait to see you guys next week. Enjoy Thanksgiving with your family. Thank you so much for staying connected to Passionate Life Church. If you'd like more information, you can email us at passionatelifechurch at gmail.com. Be sure to like, subscribe, or share this with a friend. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon.